There is power, power here in this hour, this hour. We're all together, together, waiting here as one. There is power, power here in this hour, this hour. We're all together, together, waiting here as one. So we are all here together waiting as one to receive uh, the message that's going to be presented, to participate in the worship. And we want to make sure everyone here feels welcome. So please go ahead, stand up, greet each other. Make sure that here at Watershed everyone feels welcome.
to continue worshiping through song and we invite you to join us as we sing. Revealed in flesh 
continue worshiping with here is our king. Morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Yes, yeah, see there. Thanks, Lisa. You're still on. 
Good to see everybody this morning. A couple announcements before we uh, dismiss our children. Uh, we've got a few things going on. We've got uh, our third Sunday potluck uh, today. So if you are here and want to hang out for that, even if you didn't bring something, uh, feel free to join us for lunch afterwards, 11.15. So after we're done kind of picking up chairs, uh, we'll probably leave some tables out, not knowing how many people. Uh, but want to invite you to hang out, chat. There's coffee, there's stuff, there's some food. Join us, a great way to connect together. Another way that we connect throughout the week is Wednesday nights. Um, I know we are getting a little closer towards the end of kind of the formal Wednesday night um, community night, but this coming community night is the chili cook-off uh, and the staff chili cook-off. So I want to thank Kendra right now for representing the Vanderveen family. Um, so uh, props to her for bringing the noise. So if you want to vote for Kendra and not for me, um, stop it, Lori. We're going to win. <laughs> Speaking of D, however, we have a baked goods sale uh, that night as well that will go towards mission um, projects, mission teams. So if you're interested in donating some baked goods, uh, D, just wave your hand a minute. She's does missions. She's our compassionate care coordinator. What hat don't you wear? Um, but uh, connect with D if you have some baked goods that you'd like to contribute to that. Uh, but those will be for sale to support missions. And then finally, uh, speaking of missions, Feed My Starving Children, we've talked about that coming up in March. One of the ways that we're donating and giving some money to that, we're trying to raise $5,000, correct, Lori? Um, $5,000 to go towards that as well as packing and things like that. Kids have been receiving a little M&M container, so rock on M&Ms, go. Take one if you're willing to fill it up with some quarters. And then out in the lobby, you can kind of see there in the entrance, there's a big bucket you can dump those quarters in for. And by the way, we do not discriminate on your age. If you call yourself a child, that's on you. <laughs> but if you want some M&Ms and want to help contribute to that, uh, certainly invite you to do that. Otherwise, uh, children, through third grade today, I uh, want to invite you to come on over uh, here to the door, and we're going to pray for you. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing all these kids here safely, and just please let them feel your presence in class, and in your name we pray, amen. Let's sing a song to get our hearts and minds prepared for the message that we'll hear.
While the worship team is stepping down this morning, uh, I want to say a big thank you to everybody who on our worship team this morning. Uh, yeah, Alex, as you're walking out. <laughs> um, over these last months since June, um, we have been blessed with amazing people serving and leading us in music, serving us and running AV tech stuff um, over these last months since uh, Zach left in June. And uh, really want to say thank you too uh, to Matt. Can we just... <laughs> Matt works full-time as a teacher and has taken on the load to help to lead us in this time. And uh, it's been a journey been a journey where we have looked and explored, can we fill this role by raising up leaders? If you know me, one of my passions is raise up people, uh, not just go look for people, but how do we raise up people to lead us? All of us are leaders in some way. You lead when you stand and you serve somebody a cup of coffee. Did you know that? <laughs> Moonies, I see you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you lead when we show kindness and compassion. We can lead in a variety of ways, and so Trying to build up, we explored that avenue as we looked at worship leading and what does that look like. Um, thought we had it for a moment, and then plans change. And then as we've kind of discerned and looked through those things, and it's okay if Ellie were here. We celebrated Ellie. We gave praise for, for her and glad uh, God is leading her in, a, in, a, in, in her way. Uh, we've also started to look and have conversations, exhausted networks. You know, over 20 years, I have quite a network of people in this area of looking for worship leaders, uh, and through that, this next Sunday, uh, we've got young man Drew Timmer. He's going to be joining us uh, to, to help lead us in worship. Uh, he's been a worship leader in this area, various churches. He's directed a camp, been a, a camp director for eight years. His wife is a teacher, uh, and they're coming, and we're, we've been in conversation with them. I had a chance to talk with them. Matt and I had a chance to talk with them. Darwin and I have had a chance to talk with them. And uh, through some of those, through experiences and connections with others who know him well, uh, seems like he could be a great person. Because at the end of the day, I want you to know we're looking for a person more than we're looking for a performer. Because when we worship together, it's, it's not about an event. This morning is not an event. This is something we get to do as a family and a community together. Do we want somebody gifted to help lead us in worship? Yes. Um, we've got Matt, who's this sort of like wizard. Like, if you come up here, I'm not saying come up here and touch, and Matt, I won't touch any buttons right now. But if you just look at the keyboard and look at what he runs on Sunday, he's a, he's a wizard. <laughs> but uh, no, we're looking for somebody to come help just continue to lead us and be part of the team to be somebody that we can consider as a pastor, somebody who cares and dives into life because, again, we're trying to create community and life together. So Drew's going to join us next week, and we'll have a chance to interact with him more uh, kind of earlier in this search process, but want him to just come and lead us if that's something we're asking him to do. So next week, uh, Drew Timmer's going to be here, and he's going to help lead us. So 
Just wanted to let you know, we haven't not been looking. We haven't not been discerning and in prayer. Um, I know there haven't been tons of announcements, but throughout, it's just been, some of it's been pretty dry. Um, And there's a lot of folks that are, a lot of communities that are looking for staff, just like there's a lot of jobs and businesses looking for staff uh, these days. So next week, we have a guest and a guest who could potentially join our team. So with that being said, let's pray and we'll dive into God's word. God, thank you again that we can come to you. But not only that we can come to you and we have the freedom to come to you, whose father, your father whose arms are open wide, your perfect father. God, you're a parent that cares about us, loves us, that wants the best for us and is always pursuing us. Thank you that you pursue us and that gives us the freedom to pursue you. Father, I pray that this morning as we've, we've been singing, we've been praying, God, that that's part of our, our pursuit of you. But as we do, help us to always remember that you're, you're right there. That your pursuit of us is never conditioned by our efforts, by either our lack of love or the, the fact that we can conjure up all of our ability to love. God, you simply, it's your love that continues to pursue us and anchor us. Thank you. God, as we gather together and and, and as we just heard again about about Drew joining us this this coming week and the process, and God, we we thank you for a season of life and years where Zach has had served and given us leadership. And and I think truly God helped bring us to the point that we are today. And we praise you uh, for his ministry. And we pray that you continue to be with him and Angela as they continue to follow after you and lead others. But Lord, I thank you this morning for Matt and his leadership and his, his ability to step in throughout, uh, Lord, a good part of a year uh, to help lead us. And, and not just to lead us in, in song, but to lead us in, in the person that he is. Lord, for our team of people, God, we couldn't, we couldn't be able to do what we do without amazing volunteers who give of their time and energy and talents and to see how, how there have been a number of folks who've, who've stepped on up above and beyond the call. God, thank you. As I think about our volunteers just as a whole, Lord, I think about those who serve in children's ministry, those who serve in hospitality, just welcoming and making sure there's coffee there and available. And for folks who go and get donuts on a Sunday morning and no one ever sees them do this. Lord, for those who sit up in in this space here in watershed chairs and tables. Lord, for those who are making sure that there are things printed and ready to go, things look nice, or that there's heat on in the buildings. Lord, for those who are volunteering, making sure that sidewalks are cleaned. Lord, that's not talking about all the multitudes of ways beyond this church campus, this Heart of White campus, that people are volunteering and giving their time. Lord, I know there are many mentors for Kids Hope, those who walk beside families in our community who need a gracious presence to be with them. God, to think about all the ways, too, that we as a community just love our neighbors in, in, in ways that we just don't even, we ourselves don't even realize. 
the acts of com- compassion and kindness. Lord, continue to just foster that spirit and life in us. God, in through us, work through us. Yeah, we think about those who've been serving, who've gone recently down to Honduras, who've been down to the DR. God, serving there for those who are getting ready to go to other places we're not even aware of to, to love their neighbor. God, we pray that, again, good things in life come from those moments and those times. Lord, as I think about this campus this morning for, for celebration, fusion, watershed, for everything that takes place for Mission later on this afternoon, and it, it, God, I pray that this can be a, a, a geographical location where people who are loved by you and love you are encouraged to keep going in the journey. God, we're, we're from this place, there, there's just life, and then that life pours out into our families, our neighborhoods, our places of work. God, to our friends, to the stranger. Work by your Holy Spirit. And Father, as we uh, again come to your word, I'm always reminded that, God, this isn't something that I can do in and of my own strength and energy. A, I'm not smart enough. <laughs> B, God, uh, there's, there's no amount of words I can put, I can conjure up that, Lord, it's got to come from you. So I pray what's said today is, is honoring to you, is, Lord, that how, how I've been able to dive in with you this week can, can bear fruit and bear fruit for my brothers and sisters today. That you'd encourage us here in this room, whether we're at home watching later, whether, Lord, it's something we go back and revisit. Teach us, lead us through your spirit, through your word. God, thank you for this gift. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're... uh, in our second to the last week of parables, it's the last parable I'm going to preach because another cool thing is Luke, Joyce, hi Luke, raise your hand. Yeah, you're here. <laughs> Luke's preaching next week. Um, again, just has, he's, he's served us before. He's been able to step in. He's got the thank you for the courage to do that. Um, and it's going to make the worship look really good. Okay, yep. <laughs> But uh, yeah, this is the last week for me that I'm going to get to talk about parables. And, and so a reminder again just on what we've been talking about and what parables are from Jesus' perspective is this, right? That they are inviting as well as puzzling, right? So there's stories, and stories, good stories have the ability to do that, right? They bring us in. There's something about telling a story to someone that can connect. It connects our hearts. It connects our life. We go, oh, yeah, I've been through that before, right? So they invite us in, but Jesus tells stories that are also puzzling, that make us think. And I think a lot of times stories are great tools to get a point across when when you've got to make a point, but you don't want to be a jerk about it. Amen? Right? Because a lot of times we want to tell you what you should think, and then what happens then? Well, you tell me right back where I should go. 
Right? And the reality is this. Jesus goes, no, I'm not trying to be a jerk to you. I'm trying to actually open up life, your eyes, to who I am and that I'm this gracious God full of compassion, mercy. I'm forgiving. I'm bringing life and so is my kingdom. So I want you to hear what I have to say. So I'm going to do it in a way that may just get you to think, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to mess with you. Right? Throughout the last couple of weeks, I've also shared that parables sometimes are understood as something that kind of makes, makes the afflicted encouraged and comfortable, right? So it, it's to, to lift up those who are afflicted, but for those who are comfortable, it might just afflict you, right? For those who think you all got it all together, Jesus is like, I got a story. If you think it's all about you and all, you're, you're bringing everything to the table, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, oh, I got a story for you, right? These are parables, and today's parable uh, we're going to talk about is, is a parable of surprise. So how many of you like surprises? I'm going to put my hand down. I hate surprises. <laughs> um, and, and Kendra has never thrown me a surprise party in nearly 20 years of being together. So thank you. And please don't. And you know this because she knows this because I'm a control freak. Yes, yes, I am right? I, I like to have things in order, and, and I don't like to be surprised. And a lot of times, too, I've found out with people, people don't like surprises because it actually kicks us into this, this thing in our brain, and it, it, it's, it's that anxiety response, right? And then we go into fight, flight, or freeze modes. So surprises, when we, we step in it. Now, there are people who like surprises. If you're one, props to you, but for many of us, the surprise, it, it throws us off. And today, what we're going to hear in the parable is it's surprise. And it throws both sides, both groups of people off. They're in their surprise, they don't quite know what to do. But for one side, it's a pleasant surprise. For the other side, it's unpleasant. So as we get ready to, to, to dive into this parable, i got to give you some context this morning. And we're in Matthew 25 today. What you see up the screen is Matthew 24. So Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats, starts in verse 31. So in order for us to get the context, though, we have to go all the way back to the end of chapter 23 in Matthew's gospel, the beginning of chapter 24. Remember, with parables, we want to make sure we know the setting in order to understand some of what Jesus is saying. So here's the setting. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, this is Matthew 24, verse 3, the disciples came to him privately. Right. So everything we're going to hear today is, is a private conversation between Jesus and his disciples, those who were closest to him. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? We'll get to there in a minute. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the disciples have two questions. One, when is this going to happen? Well, this, Jesus had just predicted in chapter 23, the fall of the, the temple and the fall of Jerusalem. He said, there's not going to be a stone that lies upon itself. And in all of this, because Jesus is sort of this Jewish prophet, and Jewish prophets always had the ability to speak into today, but always with a view into the future. They had no problem with that tension. 
of dealing with today in this moment, but also way off. And Jesus was really good about talking about the end of the age and today, and you're like, wait a second, do you mean the end right now or this moment or, huh? And so the disciples, they come to him privately. So tell us, Jesus, when's this going to happen? When's the fall of Jerusalem going to take place? When are you going to return? And here's Jesus' answer. This is all building towards Matthew 25. First of all, the fall of Jerusalem and of the temple will be in a generation. For a Jewish person, that's about 40 years. So Jesus predicting in a generation was 37. So not bad, right? I guess he's God of the world, you know. 37 years, 40, within a generation. It takes place in AD 70. We see the fall of Jerusalem and of the temple because there was an uprising of the Jewish people and Rome came in and said, uh-uh, no way. And they ransacked Jerusalem. So Jesus says it's going to happen. And it, but as far as my return, Jesus, now the Son of God, the Messiah, says, I don't know. Okay, I want to just pause there. How many times do you hear people like on television asking for your money and telling you exactly when Jesus is going to return? Right? Do we see those moments where there's books written? Well, hey, if you remember back to the millennium, that's 22 years ago. My goodness. Right? You get that? How many of you remember Y2K? Right? Yeah, how many people were like, it's the end. <gasps> but here's Jesus, and he says, what? I don't know. In Matthew 24, he says, I don't know when I'm going to return. The angels don't know when I return. But here's the deal. The Father in heaven does. So we know that Jerusalem's going to fall. Jesus is going to return, but we don't know when. So then what, right? This is the disciples asking, tell us more. And he says, well, guess what? The next thing I'm going to tell you is it's going to get worse before it gets better. There's going to be wars and rumors of war. People's hearts are going to grow cold and their love will grow cold for, for each other. There will be hatred. There will be messiahs, those who come saying they're me and trying to convince you that I'm the one, right? And, and in all of this, Jesus says, it's going to get nasty. And for you even, you may be persecuted. You may lose your life. In all of this, what I want, want you to know is I want you to stand firm. Stay strong. Don't let that love grow cold. Don't, don't give in to the hatred. Don't, don't buy into the next greatest thing when they're saying they're me because that's not how it's going to come. So this builds to now Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, he starts with another parable, and it's a parable of the bridegroom, another Title for it is the parable of the ten virgins. And in this parable, Jesus, to, to let his disciples know that he's coming back, he is the bridegroom, right? He's the one that, that the church is married to, that loves, right? This, the one you look forward to. Well, there were five of those virgins who were ready. They were prepared. They were going to wait as long as they had to wait for the bridegroom to come. They weren't making assumptions about when he would. They weren't trying to predict. They just knew Someday he'd come and they were going to be prepared. And there were five, though, who made assumptions. We know they made assumptions because they ran out of material. <laughs> and when you run out of material, that means you assumed that the bridegroom was going to come within a certain period of time. 
But guess what? In their assumptions about the bridegroom, their relationship with him, they ran out of stuff. They were told, go get your stuff. And while they were off getting their stuff, the bridegroom came and they missed the whole party. So Jesus is saying, be prepared. Well, then again, he tells the disciples another parable, and it's a parable of what we call the talents. You may have heard this one. The parable of the talents goes like this, that someone was given five talents. And by the way, uh, a talent could equal anywhere from $300,000 to $800,000. That's a lot of cash, right? Start multiplying that. We got millionaires, right? The one who was given five was, was given by a master. Hey, I'm entrusting this to you. Go, live, be. Another one was given two. Again, more money than I know. Right? Go, live, be. And then there was one who was given one talent. And each of these were given to each person based on what they had the ability to do. So the master wasn't asking these people to do anything more or anything less than what he believed they had capacity and capability to do, to live into. So the five, two, one. After a long time, Jesus says, Because remember, he's talking about his return. It's not going to necessarily happen overnight. After a long time, he came back. And the one who had five doubled. He had invested it. He had had put in. He had lived into it. And, And for Jesus, these talents are his kingdom. It's the gospel. Right? They lived into it and bore fruit. It doubled its, its value. It, it, it poured out what they received. They lived into and gave back in return. And the, and the master goes, awesome. Thanks for that. Hey, come take your place with me and enjoy it. Have at it. Yours to keep. It's not even about the talent itself. It was the fact that they invested in what was given to them. The one with two, guess what? Same thing happened, doubled it, invested it back, lived into it, let it grow out of it. But the one, kind of like the five who were unprepared in the parable of the bridesmaid or the bridegroom, the one made some assumptions. The one makes the assumptions that, that the master, master, I went and I hid that talent, I took all that money and I buried it in the ground. Because I know that you're a hard man. And I know that, that you sow where you don't reap. Or you reap where you don't sow. There we go. Let's get that right. Right? Had an idea of who the master was. Not of generosity. That the, the master just gave him more than he could ever imagine to begin with. But had a picture of the master of what we might say God. Said he's hard. He's a miser difficult. Well, guess what? Then Jesus, in telling the parable, says the master shoots his whole rationale. Said, if you thought I was that, if that's how you viewed me, you should have just put it in the bank, and at least you would have gotten something in return. But burying it wasn't necessarily as much of the problem as who you say that I am. Living by a false picture of who I am. Not seeing my generosity and my grace. Not seeing life, right? And it dictated his behavior. Right, this is a long intro this morning. But it's this context that now gives us our third parable. And it's an important context because this parable, I know I have often heard, preached in a very dangerous way. In a way that actually causes us to be something that the parable is telling us not to be. 
because of our own bents towards moralism, our own bents toward trying harder, mapping, measuring our lives. Right, so Jesus tells this parable. We're going to get to Matthew 25 here, starting in verse 31. After the bridegroom, after the master and the talents, we hear this third parable. When a son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates, separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Right? God, God still values how we be in this world. Right? Who we are, the fruit of his grace that flows through us. And he says, you did all these things. And, and, but listen to this. Listen to their response in verse 37. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When? Right? Thirsty, give you something to drink. When did we see you as a stranger, invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in, in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Right? They don't even realize what they've been doing. And God goes, yeah, anytime it was for the least of these, you did it for me. So somehow, someway, they saw in others, when they served others, they saw Jesus. Right? And they didn't even realize it was a fruit that came out of their relationship. We'll get to that in just a second. Because the king's not done. Then he'll say to those on his left, the goats, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the internal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Woo. Literally, go to hell. Right? But that wasn't a place that we were designed for. That's not what, that was for the devil and his angels. But, but for you, you goats, I want you to go there. Why? For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you didn't look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick and in prison, and did not help you. Come back to that phrase in just a moment. It's the only thing different in their response. When did we see all this take place? And didn't do that. And he'll reply, truly I tell you, whatever you, did, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you didn't do for me. Then they'll go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So let's take all of, the, all of the context we've talked about. We think about this parable, right? Keep it in its setting. What, has been, what Jesus has been saying this whole time. Okay, the temple's going to fall. Life's going to get pretty crazy. It's maybe not always going to look that great. Jesus is going to return. And what is the first thing he wants them to see? That there actually is hope. 
right? The Messiah, the promised one, the king, will return. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, right, all the angels with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne. That what you're going to have to endure is worth it because the king will sit on his throne. And not only that, all the nations will be gathered. Not just some, all. It reminds me of Philippians 2 where every knee will bow to Jesus, whether we like it or not. And the king will then judge. He will separate. Just like the parable of the wheat and weeds a few weeks back. Right? The good news is that God is responsible for separating wheat and weeds for, for goats and sheep. Not me. Not you. But God is. And, and we trust God's judgment because God is good. Right? So it's really important how we think about the master, what we think about the bridegroom, what we think about this son of man, the king. If we think that he's evil, if we think he's a miser, then that's going to do some things for us. But if we know he's good, he can't help but judge evil. And I don't know about you, again, that's good news. There's a lot of evil that needs to be judged. But he will do that in wisdom. He will do that with the ability to understand everything from the beginning of time to the end of it. He understands why people sin and why we make the mistakes we do. He understands the things we ourselves don't even understand about ourselves. So he reminds his disciples first and foremost, I will come and I will judge. Don't worry. Now for some though, it's going to be a pleasant surprise. I thought about that and I came across this quote from Anthony Hopkins. So uh, Anthony Hopkins, the actor, Man, every time I think of him, I can't help but think of Silence of the Lambs. So, woohoo! <laughs> but he says this. He says, it's such a pleasant surprise when you come on set and you find someone in charge like Ken Branagh or James Ivory. Right? It's a pleasant surprise when you see somebody in charge like Ken Branagh and James Ivory. You know that you're going to do a day's work and at the end of it, it's going to be good. The reason why I like what he said is it's, it's that, A, the pleasant surprise, right? It's when you actually go, oh, cool. I can imagine him stepping on set and seeing somebody. And this happens, right, in our lives. You see somebody who's in charge and you're like, oh, yes, thank you, God. You know what you're doing, right? In this moment where it's, it's good, you know the person in charge is good. You know they're for you. They're not against you. Right? You know they're going to make things happen. Well, much in the same way, Jesus says, it's the, the righteous are going to see this. They're going to answer him right after Jesus says, hey, you are on my right side. Come with me. Take this inheritance that I have for you. And he's going to say this. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger? Right? They're surprised needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go and visit you? And the king will say, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. Right, we can reduce this really quickly to a morality, but what happens when we do that, we actually become the goats that he condemns in just a moment. So how do you get to a space where, where all of a sudden you're living, you're living in a way where there's fruit coming in your, out of your life and you don't even realize it, right? That you're surprised to hear God, in a sense, say, hey, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come join me. Well, I'm going to say it's this, this morning, a gospel-centered life. 
right? Because a gospel-centered life begins with the understanding of who we are as a sheep anyways. Whether we're sheep or goats is all about how we've encountered the scandalous grace of God. It's not about whether we've earned our place. It's understanding that God has done 100% of the work for us. And if we see ourselves in him, we put our faith in his work, we know that we're sheep. Like, it's how are we in relationship to God? It starts with the story of God and who God is. Right? And when we understand what makes sheep sheep in the first place, because remember, the parable doesn't say everything about everything, so we got to look to the scriptures and other places. Places like Ephesians 1 and 2, we know it is by grace that we've been saved through faith, and it isn't a work of our own. Right? That we're sheep because of God's grace. But what happens then is we become his sheep, that grace informs us of who we are, right? It's identity. It tells me who I am, that I'm loved, I'm forgiven, that the one who created me and shaped me has something for me, right? So that grace meets me where I am, meets us where we are, and refuses to leave us there. That grace is going to do a work in us to shape us and to change us because our world, our lives weren't meant for sin, in brokenness, right? That's the gospel-centered life. But the gospel-centered life doesn't stop there. That God's grace then produces fruit through my life, right? Because I am loved, I love. First John, we love because God first loved us. He begins to pr- produce a fruit in us like the fruit of the Spirit, Paul talks about. This isn't a work of ourselves. It's something that as we get to know the goodness of God, as we, we get to live in relationship with Him and we let Him tell us who we are and also who we are to be, we can't help but see Jesus in others as much as we begin to see Jesus in ourselves. Right, So then all of a sudden we start doing things for others that we don't realize we're doing for them because we've been changed. I don't want to be kind to somebody because I have to. I'm going to be kind to somebody because I get to. Right, because I understand the kindness that's been shown to me. That's a gospel-centered life. And I think as we look at the sheep this morning, that's their story. But that in that pleasant surprise, it's, hey, those who are living in relationship to the king, listen, come, take your inheritance. That's how you get the inheritance. Jesus is saying, me, stick with me. My life will flow in you and through you. But then there's the goats, and there's an unpleasant surprise. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. Right? I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you didn't look after me. And they'll also answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes, or sick or in prison, and did not help you? Right? The only change in their language They thought they were. When did all this happen? And we didn't help you, God. Right? This is the defensive posture. This is the posture that says, but look at my track record, God. What gets me in is what I've done. Not what you've done. 
We're going to call this the if-then disordered life. Right? Because that when haven't we done it is a life that's filled with calculated acts to get something or somewhere. Right? It's a life that says, I'm going to do all these things so I can be in control. Right? You know how I said I didn't like surprises? And I got this little control issue syndrome. I like to be in control. We like to be in control. It's okay to be honest about that. That's why I need Jesus. The problem is if I think I need to stay in control. right? I think I need to have it all together. And for God to love me, look at my calculated acts. right? Which then actually tells us a story about God. Right? It doesn't start with God. It starts with me. And when I start with me, it shapes then my perspective of God and God then becomes conditional. I'm going to do all these works because if I do all these works, you're going to let me in. And if I don't do all these works, you're not. Which all of a sudden says, Master, I know you reap what you do not sow. Oh, bridegroom, I know you're coming when I say you're going to come and I've got just enough and you're going to work well within my framework. But when I doesn't, man, what am I going to do? Right? God can't surprise us. But that's the thing about scandalous graces. It surprises us left and right over and over again. Right? But the idea of God is no different than the parables that have happened before. God is not a God of grace. God is a God of if-thens and conditions. When didn't we do it, God? And then what happens? We become so busy calculating our lives that we rarely, if ever, truly love God love our neighbor, or even ourselves, right? Because people become, and you hear me say this all the time, and I, I, I'm going to be a broken record. People become projects then. People become an, a means to our end. And if that's the case, that's not love. That's abuse. And I know that's a strong word, but that's using and abusing someone for me. See what makes goats, goats? Well, God, let me tell you what you're all about. You're a God of conditions. You're a God of if-thens. And, and you know what? I'm going to do all of the right things, but I'm not going to have any of the heart for it. Right? And I can't have any of the heart because I looked at you in a way that wouldn't allow me to. And what Jesus is reminding his disciples is this. You know me and you know everything that I'm about. You know I'm the good shepherd who calls the sheep in. You know that it's a work of me, and then out of that work, it's going to change you, transform you, and bring life. But if you're trying to do it for yourself, it's not the way. In our book, Scandalous Stories, this commentary on the, on the parables, write this on the goats. The goats, the ones who are separated from God, actually are relying on their works. Read it closely. Then they'll also answer saying, Lord, when we see you hungry or thirsty, stranger, naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you. You hear the underlying assumption here? When didn't we minister to you? They're like the ones who Jesus speaks of in another passage that come to him on the last day saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. 
Do you see it? The goats are precisely those who come to Jesus dependent upon their works to get them in. They think they're good enough while the sheep don't even stop to consider their works before the king. They're stunned they have anything on their record that he even notices. One's pleasantly surprised by the working of a good God in and through them and the judgment of this God. Others who thought it was all on them, calculated, who had had it all together, were unpleasantly surprised. And guess what? There's one last final surprise. Like I said, not every parable tells the whole story. But I think this is the unsaid story because it's in Scripture. It's Jesus' biggest laugh that neither our works nor lack of them get us in anyways. There's the final surprise. Your good works and your bad have no bearing. How do I say this? Well, it starts at the very beginning. There are what we're going to call three imputations. Imputing something is to put something on. The very beginning when sin came into the world, Adam sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, and they imputed sin into humanity all throughout Scripture's story. We can't run from it. We can't get away from it. No matter how hard I try and control things, I can't avoid sin. It's there. But then what does Jesus do? He comes into the world and man imputes that sin upon the Son of Man, the Messiah. He takes that sin upon himself in the cross. And in the cross, not only does he take that sin and condemn that sin, God's judgment has already begun, folks. In the cross, he's already judged evil for evil. Every evil we could ever think of or imagine, every evil that humanity could give, He not only condemns evil, but then there's this other imputation. He imputes his righteousness upon us. We hear this in Romans 5, verses 18 and 19. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, there's that Adam to humanity, so also one righteous act, Jesus' death on the cross, resulted in justification, right? legally making us right, justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made right. righteous. One final surprise for us all. This is the danger of if we preach this parable of going, yeah, just make sure you calculate the good, the bad, the ugly, right? Who's the least of things? Now, does God want us to love our neighbor? No questions asked. But he never wants us to love our neighbor as a means to our own end, and especially as a means to somehow earn his favor. He wants us to love our neighbors because we've experienced his And his judgment still and always will go back to Jesus. That's the freedom we have to live and love others. So we think about this. This is why we celebrate communion. Uh, This morning, if you were walking in um, and you want to celebrate communion with us, uh, we have these little plastic cups. um, 
and uh, you pull off the top, there's two pieces of film. There's a plastic. Otherwise, um, I think Kendra is there with a basket. If you didn't get one and want to wave her over, um, we'll get you some. Uh, but again, whether you're taking this or whether you're watching us, communion for Christians is a reorientation in the gospel. Right? It's to keep taking us back to the story of what Jesus has done and does for us. And how when we take this in, hopefully it's, it's a picture for us of that grace that transforms and changes our hearts so that we not only see ourselves in Jesus, but see Jesus in others. So this morning, as we take that, we'll first take the bread, so as you're preparing uh, the little wafer, and then the foil, we'll take the drink after. But uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had shared this Passover meal. That's the next story, actually, in Matthew. Passover meal was there celebrated over and over again in their life to remember God's great salvation for the people from slavery. Right? Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. I want to invite you to take the bread this morning. This, it's the body of Christ given for us. Take, eat. And in the same manner, he took the cup that they had shared together and he said, this is a, a new covenant, a new, man, covenant just doesn't have the right word in our English language because it's a promise, it's a commitment, it's a till death do us part thing. This is a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins, the imputed righteousness of Jesus gifted to us, right? His rightness because of his blood. As often as you do this, you drink of it. Do this in remembrance of me. Take, drink. It's the blood of Jesus given for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for these gifts that speak to your word, that we can hear the word this morning, your words. We can hear your good news, and we can also touch it and taste it. It's something tangible. Lord, that you take these ordinary things and you infuse them with something extraordinary, this grace. You take these words and you infuse them with your grace your goodness, your undeserved love given to us. God, I pray that we would continue to anchor ourselves in that gospel-centered life. That we'll know you and your goodness, that, that we're sheep because of your love, not because of our accomplishments. And that love will shape us and, and change us and transform us. And that love will not only allow us to see ourselves in you and you in us, but then we begin to actually see others, your face in them. And then we can't help but give to others who you love and have created the same thing you've given to us. Not because we have to. Because we get to. We get to join with you. We get to share that life. So God, may we be in people marked by that. 
not by calculated acts, thinking you're a conditional God to somehow earn your favor into our place. You've given us an inheritance in you, and we can't do anything but say, thank you, Lord. Use us for your glory, for the love of you, for others, and even of ourselves. We pray these things certainly in many more prayers in the name of Jesus and all God's children said. Amen. Amen. Please stand and sing with us as we close the service.
Amen means yes, truly. Yes, truly, he is for you. I pray that you're surprised by the scandalous grace of a shepherd who is for you and not against you. You don't have, any, have to do anything to earn his love, his favor. It's already been done in a cross, in his resurrection, and in his life. And I pray that you, you can be surprised then by how that grace changes you, works in you. By the way, it may happen over a long period of time. But it will. Grace does that. And that is the power of God. And then I pray that you're surprised at how people look at you and feel when they're around you and what they receive from you. I pray that your friends, your family, your loved ones, your coworkers are surprised by how you are towards them. But then when they come to find out that it's Jesus, that they're surprised all over again by his goodness and grace to them. So go with his blessing, the blessing we've sung, a blessing that is God's blessing for us. The Lord bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his smile upon you, and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's children said, amen.